happy to be together today. If you are a guest with us, I uh, give you a special welcome. We're excited that you're with us. We're in the middle of a series on the book of Ephesians, and we're getting very close to the middle of it, which is very close actually to where Paul begins to make a shift into telling, uh, from telling us over and over what is true about us, to then starting to roll that out into what to do. We're going to get a little bit of a hint of that, though, this morning. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Ephesians. We're in chapter 3, the very beginning of chapter 3. And listen as I read to us now from God's Word. This is Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, uh, as we always do, that you would open your word to us. We need your spirit to work, not just in the writing of your word, but in the receiving of your word. We need your spirit to work in our hearts so that we might hear what you have to say to us, so that we might come to know you more deeply. We need your spirit to open our blind eyes and awaken our apathetic hearts. We need your spirit to enliven us so that we might be changed by your word. Lord, show us what it means to be not only partakers, but owners of this amazing mystery that you've shown us. We do pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me start with this question for us. Why do you do what you do? Why do we do the things that we do? What's the, what are the reasons behind why we do the things that we do? If you're learning a craft, you get some of these things. Like if you're learning how to work with wood, you may wonder, why do you sand with the grain? And the first time you sand against the grain, you realize, oh, that's why you do it, right? Because it really messes it up if you do it the wrong way. Or you may realize at some point the reason you do what you do um, because you've made a mistake in doing so. So why don't you try to hard-boil an egg in the microwave? If you've ever tried to hard-boil an egg in the microwave, you've realized that you shouldn't do such a thing. Our own kitchen has realized those things. Maybe you have no, re- no, uh, no answer really for that question. 
If you're familiar with the history of basketball, you remember Wilt Chamberlain, who was the most dominant player of his time, maybe the most dominant basketball player ever, and was an incredible basketball player, but really a bad free throw shooter. But it just so happened that this one year, he decided to change something about his free throw shooting, and he started shooting underhanded, like granny style. And his free throw percentage went up by like 40%. I mean, crazy way better. His scoring average went up. He no longer was the guy who couldn't close out a game because you could foul him and he'd hit free throws. But he decided to change the next year. Went back to shooting his regular old overhanded form and was bad again. Why did he change? Not really sure. Most people would say because he felt like he looked like an idiot and he just didn't think that having a better free throw percentage was any better than looking like an idiot. So he just went back to having a bad free throw percentage. Well, when we open up this passage, we actually see the Apostle Paul starting into one of his prayers, but he pauses before he goes into the rest of his prayer, which we'll look at next time. uh, And he talks about why he does what he does. He talks about what motivates him. And if you've ever asked this question of yourself, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I get up every morning and do the things that I do? Why do I go to work every day? Why do? What is the motivation for what I'm doing? Maybe you've asked that question of yourself in a really despairing kind of way. Why am I doing this at all? Because it doesn't feel like it has any value. Well, when we open up chapter 3 here, we see Paul actually explaining to us his reason for existence. Why he's writing and why he's ministering to these new Gentile believers in Ephesus. Look at what he says in verse 2. In verse 1 as well. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. When Paul answers that question, why do I do what I do, he answers it with this word, stewardship. I do what I do because I have become a steward. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that word, we'll probably talk about it more actually as we roll out Ephesians in the coming weeks, but that word stewardship really just means not being the owner of something, but caring for it like you do own it. Okay. So if you're a steward, you don't own the thing that you're caring for, but you care for it maybe as well or better than the owner. You care for it like you own it. So if you are the uh, parent of a teenager, when you say, okay, here are the keys, you are asking for stewardship, right? You're asking for your child to care for your things just like it would be if it belonged to him or her. Most of the great uh, musical instruments in the world are not actually owned by the people who play them. Oftentimes, the people who own them are collectors, and they'll lend out those instruments to the greatest players, to Yo-Yo Ma and Itzhak Perlman, and these you know, $10 million instruments are being played in the hands of somebody who doesn't own them, but who really, really knows how to make them sound beautiful. That's stewardship. It is the cultivating of the thing that God has given you, that is owned by another, and using it and caring for it and making it flourish like it were your own. But knowing all of the time that it actually belongs to someone else. So there's the first little piece in what Paul tells us he's doing. He is called to be a steward. So if he's called to be a steward, what is he called to steward? 
And what he tells us is maybe equally confusing. What he says is that he is a steward of a mystery. He's been, giving, he's been given a mystery to care for. Now, what is he talking about? What kind of mystery is he talking about there? Because when we hear the word mystery, we, we oftentimes think of a few things. Maybe we think of uh, a secret, right? Like, hey, I actually wet the bed last night. Don't tell anybody. That is not a mystery you want people to know. Or you think of like a whodunit, Sherlock Holmes kind of case where you're trying to figure it out and it is always kind of this weaving pathway of trying to figure out the mystery and it's being uncovered. And really the, the big point is that it's hidden. When Paul talks about a mystery though, what he's talking about really is more like a Christmas present. You know how like at Christmas you have things wrapped and they're there and maybe if you're a really discerning child you can you, you start to figure out by the shape of it and maybe the sound of it if you shake it a little bit you're trying to figure out exactly what it is. But it's there to build excitement and anticipation. And it's there to build excitement because you know you're actually going to unwrap it and see it. In my house in Christmas I love the way that my house was, was set up um, I actually did not like the house that I grew up in much at all, except for the way that it worked for Christmas morning, because it was perfect. Because we would kind of walk in to this main room where there would be the stockings, and we'd do the whole stocking thing first. But all of the like big presents and the tree and all the wrap things, they were in a different room, so we didn't get to see them. And the anticipation, just it would just build and build and build over Christmas morning. And you'd finally walk into that room where the tree was, and you'd go, Oh, look at these Christmas presents, it's amazing! And then you got to unwrap them. That's the kind of mystery, actually, that Paul is talking about here. It's a mystery not so much that we have to go on a hunt to find, but it's a mystery that's more like a gift that has been given to us, that we get to unwrap and say, Oh, look at this beautiful gift that we've been given. And that mystery, he spells it out for us. He says that the mystery is that the Gentiles, us, people who did not grow up Jewish in the first century, have been brought into God's people, have been given a home, have been made a part of His covenant promises, have been made a part of His people. Those who were outsiders, as we said last week, have been made insiders. Those who were enemies, as we said last week, have been made friends. Those who were sojourners and aliens, as we talked about last week, have been made citizens of His kingdom. That is the beautiful gift, the mystery that has been given to us, the church. But here's where this passage turns. And here's where it gets really interesting. Is because what Paul says is that not only has this beautiful gift been given to the church to receive, to unwrap, to, to overwhelm us so that we might actually be overjoyed and glorify God for what He's given us. But now that gift has been given to us that we might steward it. That we might be stewards of that same mystery. I want to just draw your attention to what he says here in verse 10. Listen to this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He says, even backing up a little bit, that the goal is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The church has been given stewardship over this beautiful gift, this mystery, so that we might come to know and everybody might come to know the manifold wisdom of God. 
That word manifold is like multifaceted. Like you're looking through a prism and you see all of these incredible, beautiful colors. It's like this just incredible expression, this creative expression of what God is doing. And we've read about it all through chapters 1 and 2 in Ephesians. That God has miraculously chosen us in love to be adopted as sons and daughters, to be brought into His house, that we who were dead in our sins and trespasses have been made alive in Christ, that we've been made a part of His people, that we've been brought inside. All of those incredible ways of looking at what the gospel is, that's the manifold wisdom of God that's been on display already in the book of Ephesians. And what Paul says is that the church is now given the responsibility for stewarding that incredible gift to the world around us, and even, it says, to the world not around us, to heaven, right? This is a part of who we're proclaiming to, or the rulers and authorities above. I don't totally understand that, y'all. But it means that not only is the church given the ability to show who God is to the people around us, but somehow, through the work of the church, the heavens even come to know God better. That the angels come to know who God is more perfectly through the work of the church. That's pretty amazing. So what does it mean for us, as His people, who have received that gift, what does it mean then for us to be stewards of that gift? To be the ones who now show who God is to the world around us. What does it look like for us to take that gift and show it to the world? Or maybe you could say, what's the wrapping that it comes in? How do we as a church wrap the beauty of the gospel so that we might give it to the world and even to heaven in a way that glorifies God and that makes Him known and that shows His beauty and His manifold wisdom. Well, here are three things as we close. Three ways, I think, practically speaking, that we as a church, and I'm using that both in the Big C Church version, the church universal, worldwide, and historic, and our little piece of that, Hope Presbyterian, how are we to wrap the beauty of the gift that we have been given so that we might give it to the world? Here's the first thing. Is that we actually wrap it first in gospel-empowered confidence. Look at verse 12 and what Paul says to us. He says in verse 11, This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Believers now have boldness and access to God through what Jesus has done for us, but we also have confidence not only in where we stand, but in what God is doing in the world. Maybe as we have looked at these first few chapters of Ephesians, as we have heard Paul say a lot, talk a lot about the sovereignty of God, the work of God that is actually has nothing to do with what we do. The fact that God moves first and we move second. Paul has really said that a lot in the first couple of chapters. And maybe some of you are struggling with that, thinking, okay, if God is in control, if He's sovereign, if we use words like predestined and scary kind of stuff like that, then what about evangelism? If God is sovereign, then what about evangelism? Am I supposed to tell the world about Jesus? Does that mean that I'm kind of off the hook here? Well, it's actually just the opposite. In fact, the confidence that we have in God's work is what enables us to give this beautiful gift to the world. 
The confidence that we have in God's work and His Spirit's work in the world is what enables us to say, okay, you know what, God, if you're at work, that means I have the freedom now to engage in this. I have the freedom to proclaim the beauty. I have the freedom to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God to the world because I actually believe that He's got my back, that He's behind me, that He is working and He is at work all of the time. See, God's sovereign work in the world and in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors, the fact that His Spirit is actually at work, that empowers us for mission. It empowers us for evangelism. It doesn't negate it. It also gives us confidence even that we get to cling to something that others don't. We live in a world where people are always trying to figure out, what is it that identifies me? What is it that makes me who I am? Who, I, who am I in this world? And people are trying to carve that out in so many ways. I am my beauty or my weight. I am my success. I am my job. I am my children's performance. I am my record of righteous deeds or my record of unrighteous deeds. I am whatever I do is the answer that we oftentimes get from our culture. But what the gospel says is that we are who Jesus has made us to be. Not because of what we've done, but in spite of it. Because of what He has done. Friends, that creates a confidence that the world looks at and is confused about. That your neighbors will look at and wonder, how is it that this person can move about in their lives feeling like they have a real identity and not always searching for a new one? How is it that this person can move about in their lives with such confidence in who they are, even when it seems like their, their situations are always tenuous? How can that happen? It's because of the confidence that we have in the gospel. So that's the first thing. If we are going to reflect who God is, if we are going to show His manifold wisdom to the world and to heaven, we have to have gospel-empowered confidence in who we are and in what He's called us to. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Is that we wrap it not just in that confidence, but we also wrap it in welcome and belonging. If you've been, um, the two of you who I think have clicked on the link to read the blogs that I've been reading, uh, the writing the last few weeks, may recognize these words, welcome and belonging, because I like to talk about them a lot. They are deep, foundational parts of the culture that we want to build here. And when I say culture, I just mean, what is the feel of who we are? What are the things that just come out of everything that we do? When you cut Hope Presbyterian Church, what do we bleed? And one of the things that we want to bleed is welcome and belonging. And that just, it just pours out even of this passage. He never says those words. Paul doesn't write those words in his passage. But what he says about this mystery is that those who are far off now belong. Those who are outsiders are now insiders. That is part and parcel to what it means to be a Christian, is to belong. And so what it means to embody the gospel as a church is to exude a culture of belonging. We can do that in a number of ways. Part of it just happens in the way that it feels when we gather together on Sunday mornings. When people walk in who've never been here before... Do they feel welcomed like it's home? Do they feel immediately like they belong? And I just want to encourage you in this. The overwhelming answer I get from people who visit Hope is yes. You are doing a fabulous, fabulous job of this. 
is that people feel like they belong. And that is really important. If we're we're going to proclaim that the gospel is that we belong, that we need to be a culture that promotes that. But we get to do it corporately on Sunday mornings. We also get to do it corporately in our community groups. We get to invite people in to belong to our community. We get to wrap it in beautiful communities simply by asking people to come and share their lives with us. If you're in a community group, let me just encourage you, invite your friends. Ask them to come and to witness the community that happens in the church. Where people start to get honest with themselves and with others in ways that they haven't before. Where they come and they gather around God's Word and they're able to ask questions and encourage one another. Where they have real fellowship together. Where they can meet friends. Where they can engage in these pathways toward deeper intimacy. Your friends and your neighbors need that. Welcome them in. And then we can do it individually as well. Hospitality is, is the wrapping that comes with this idea of belonging, right? Just inviting people into your home. Asking them to come and have dinner with you. Asking them to sit down and to share your lives, even if it's just for a couple of hours. To be able to say, let me bring you in so that you belong in my home. You belong at my table. You belong as part of my people. That's what it means to to really wrap this gift in welcome and belonging. Here's the third thing, and it's the way we'll close, actually, is that we also wrap it in self-sacrifice. The gospel is always wrapped in sacrifice. If we are going to display the manifold wisdom of God, it is displayed best in sacrifice. Just, just listen to this passage again and hear how many times Paul talks about sacrifice. He, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul is under house arrest in Rome right now. He's actually writing to these people because of his activity in proclaiming the gospel. He has been arrested. Okay, so he's already sacrificed his own freedom. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Not for me, but for you. He goes on to say uh, that uh, of this gospel I was made, and the ESV says a minister. The word could also be translated a servant. So Paul is saying, I was given this gift so that I might be made a servant for you, that I might lay my life down for you. And then he finishes this whole thing in verse 13 by saying, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. All throughout this, Paul is displaying the idea that it's actually self-sacrifice that is the gift wrap that he has wrapped himself in so that his people might receive the gospel. So that the world might come to know who Jesus is because it is wrapped in sacrifice. I have a, um, an acquaintance, another a, a church planter who's uh, in Los Angeles. Some of you have heard me tell this story. He tells this really incredible story of, um, of just getting to know his neighbors and how the Lord had used the simple activity of getting to know his neighbors to bring someone to faith. He began to get to, to know his, this man. He lived in an apartment and they lived on, in the same apartment complex, maybe upstairs. And they just started talking and chatting and they would get together in the evenings and, and they would have a drink together and they would just kind of chat. And this went on for a few months. And he realized at some point, uh, he had never really asked him, you know, what do you do for a living? And uh, he said, finally, what do you do? And the man said, you know, I'm in the film industry, which in Los Angeles is, you know, includes a lot of people. Okay, great. A few months, a few more months went by. 
this this acquaintance of mine, this church planter, realizes like, man, I, I, I love film. Like, we should talk more about this kind of thing. So he starts to kind of probe with this man. Um, just tell me a little bit more about kind of what you do in the industry and what kind of films do you make. And let's let's get together. Let's watch. you got to show me some of your stuff. And after a lot of kind of evasive maneuvering, uh, finally this man just kind of broke it down. He said, hey, listen. I'm in the adult film industry. Industry, Like, I don't think you want to watch any of the things that I produce. And, you know, of course, my friend is like, uh, well, would you look at the time? <laughs> Pretty awkward moment. But here's the thing. Through that, continue to friendship. And not too long after that, this man's wife got really sick. She ended up in the hospital... And most of her world had just kind of fallen apart. And they just continued to visit her in the hospital. They brought her meals. They brought him meals when she was there. They went and kind of cleaned up their porch because it was getting dirty and needed to be swept because they were at the hospital so often. He said he remembers really distinctly this one time after church, driving home, and on the way home, he just this nagging feeling of, like, I should go see this woman in the hospital, and feeling like it's the last thing I want to do, right? These conversations are always hard. <laughs> it just, I just don't want to go and see this person in the hospital. And um, his wife probably was the one who said, this is what we need to do. And they went and they saw her, and it turns out, the man said, um, you know, it's, it's really wonderful that you came because um, no one comes to visit us anymore. All of, all of our friends, all of the kind of pretty people that we thought were our friends, they've all just kind of left. We're not very useful to them anymore. We can't really do a whole lot. And so they've just kind of left us alone. And then this was the most beautiful part. She said... <laughs> She said in kind of this uh, almost angry way um, to her husband, like, why haven't you taken me to his church before? And then she said to the pastor, my friend, she said, she said, you know, if I had known that this is how Jesus was, I would have investigated Christianity a long time ago. And he said there the next Sunday, they're sitting there in the front row of his church. There is, he said, on the front row is this like family of six children, um, all homeschooled and just beautiful, godly family. And then there's like um, this woman who starred in some um, some TV show just last week. And then there's this adult film producer. And like th- that's the first row. He's like, this is my church. You know, here we go. But did you notice what she said? She said, if I had known this was the way that not you were. She didn't say, if I had known this is the way even that Christians acted. She said, if I had known this about Jesus, then I would have investigated Christianity a long time ago. That's stewardship. That is self-sacrificial stewardship. It is taking the beauty of the gospel and saying, my job is to work so that God might get the glory. Right? She said, it's not through your, it's not, you're not getting the glory through your action, Jesus is. And that's really the heart of stewardship. That we might actually work as a church to take this gift that He's given us so that God might be glorified. So that God actually might get the glory and not us. That is the heart of what it means to steward the mystery that we have been given. 
Now, I hope you realize also that that can't happen unless you know that Jesus has already worked so that we might be glorified. Jesus has worked to give not Himself glory, but us. To bring us to Himself. To glorify us. To seat us with Him in the heavenly realms. To give us a new heart and a new mind. To make us something that we were not before. That is what Jesus has done for us. If you've never heard those words before, if you don't know what I mean when I say this word, the gospel, that's it. That's the good news that Christians proclaim. That Jesus has worked not for His own glory, but for ours, so that we might come to know Him and be united to God. It's also what empowers us to steward the mystery that we've been given. To be stewards of this beautiful proclamation. To wrap this gift in self-sacrifice, in welcome and belonging, in wonderful confidence in what the Lord is doing. So that the world and even the heavens might come to see who He is. Let's pray. Our Father, what a, uh, what a weighty thing You've given us. It is nothing less than the words of eternal life that you've given us to care for, to steward well. Lord, it is nothing less than the greatest news that the world has ever seen that you've given us to proclaim. It is nothing less than the God who has created all things that you have given us to reveal. Lord, will you work in us? Will your spirit be at work in our church so that we might steward these things well? So that the world around us, and yes, Lord, the angels, might come to see who you are, might come to see your glory, your love, your mercy, and your grace more perfectly in what we do. We pray this all in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen.